Dog Days of Podcasting, Day 13, Sunday, August 16th, 2020. Before I begin today's topic, talking yet again about the bubonic plague, I wanted to make a, an idea of why I think there were so many epidemics in the 16th through the 18th centuries, or I wanted to suggest why there seemed to be so many of them in Europe and in America. So this is completely my guesswork without even researching it behind it. But this is why maybe there seemed to be so many outbreaks in the 16th to 18th centuries. Number one, maybe demographics. Maybe there was a population boom after the kind of the end of the Middle Ages. I don't know. I didn't research that but there could have been a lot more people. Number two, maybe there was increased travel. Maybe the ships got better and maybe there was more trade as well. So more people were uh, intermingling in that way. Number three, maybe there were more conflicts and wars. I'm not a good enough student of history to know, but maybe those were increasing. Number four, maybe there was just more reporting. So maybe there wasn't really more plagues and outbreaks and epidemics, but they were just being reported more. Remember that Gutenberg's printing press came out in the mid-1400s. So maybe it was easier for news and stories to be widely dispersed and saved. And number five, maybe it's just bad luck. Maybe that's all it was. Maybe the plagues just, the bubonic plague, uh, that's just kind of when it peaked during these times. So those are kind of my guesses as to why it just seemed there's so much going on between the 16th and 18th and 19th centuries. So as I've been saying, I can't get enough of the plague. So I think maybe this is the last day I'll be talking about the plague, but it's really fascinating. A couple of more stories about the plague and then a couple of final thoughts on it. One that I did not go over was the Russian plague of 1770 to 1772. This seemed to have some major repercussions. Peter the Great had died in 1725 after moving the seat of power from Moscow to St. Petersburg. The now-abandoned Moscow and its suburbs attracted vast numbers of serfs and army deserters, turning Moscow into a sort of image of London that we talked about yesterday. Lots of human and animal waste and other filth was piling up on each other. The city was mostly still built of wood, so there were fires, there was a high crime rate, and generally, the state of the city was set up for a disaster. Catherine II inherited the throne in 1762 and actually tried to clean up Moscow. She decreed that the polluting factories, the slaughterhouses, fish markets, and cemeteries be removed from the city, that it was illegal to pollute the waterways, and that dumps be established. Her goal in this was to westernize Moscow as well as St. Petersburg was westernized. Despite her efforts, Catherine found herself facing an outbreak of the bubonic plague in the Russian Empire in 1770. In Moscow, two prominent doctors who disliked each other had opposing views on how serious the first cases of the plague were in January of 1770, leading to delays in the city taking action. By March of 1770, there were definitive signs of the disease, and so Moscow's government began implementing the established procedures, including setting up field hospitals. But the plague could not be contained. The doctor who felt the plague wasn't so serious at first died of it himself in 1771. 
It took until September of 1771 for the plague deaths to even reach their peak. 20,400 people died in that month alone, and roughly three-quarters of Moscow's population fled the city. Three-quarters? Authorities tried to stop the spread of the disease, but the poor were terrified of the destruction of their contaminated homes, so they hid the dead bodies. The city's economy was mostly paralyzed because many factories, markets, stores, and, and administrative buildings had been closed down. All of this was fo followed by acute food short shortages, causing deterioration of living conditions for the majority of the Muscovites. Russian nobility and well-off city dwellers left Moscow due to the plague outbreak, kind of like how King Charles left London. So I imagine the ones who still were there were, of course, the poorer people. Despair over all, this, all of this led to the plague riots in late 1771, an uprising against the government and their failed methods of protecting the citizens. On September 15, 1771, huge, huge crowds of Muscovites began to flow towards Red Square at the, at the sound of an alarm bell. Pushing aside a military unit, they burst into the Kremlin and destroyed a monastery and its, its wine cellars. The next day, the riot gained in strength. Angry citizens captured another monastery, killed the archbishop, and destroyed two quarantine zones. In the afternoon, most of the rebels approached the Kremlin and were met by a number of military units. The crowd demanded the surrender of, the, of Lieutenant General Pyotr Yeropkin. As soon as the Muscovites tried to attack the Kremlin, the army opened fire with buckshot, dispersing the crowd and capturing some of the rebels. The next day, in the morning of September 17th, around 1,000 people gathered at the Kremlin again, demanding the release of the captured rebels and elimination of quarantines. The army managed to disperse the crowd yet again and finally did suppress the riot. Some 300 people were brought to trial. Eventually, the riot settled down, and a city commission improved services and quarantines, put an end to the burning of property, reopened public baths, permitted trade, increased food deliveries, and organized public works. At the same time, the commission was engaged in prosecuting those who had taken part in the plague riots. Four of them were executed. 165 adults and 12 teenagers were subject to punishment. By the time the plague ended there, as many as 50 to 100,000 people may have died. Even after the plague ended, Catherine struggled to restore order. In 1773, Yamelian Pugachev, a man who claimed to be Peter III, Catherine's executed husband, led an insurrection that resulted in the deaths of thousands more. The last story we have is the supposedly true and inspiring story of the English plague village of Eam, spelled E-Y-A-M, but I believe it's pronounced Eam. I heard about this on a two or three different podcasts, and I read about it in a couple of places. So this is uh, an easy-to-find uh, information about this. From London, the Great Plague of 1665, which we went over yesterday, spread to nearby surrounding areas and to Eam, a village in the cent central north of England. But it went no further than Eam, thanks to the extraordinary courage and self-sacrifice shown by an entire village to quarantine themselves for 14 months 
in the face of an almost unimaginable tragedy. Tragedy, And this selfless communal act probably saved the entire North England from the plague. The story of the Eam plague began with the arrival of a consignment of probably flea-infested cloth from London, where the disease had already killed 15 to 30 percent of the population. In late 1665, almost 50 villagers died in Eam, and by the following spring, many villagers were on the verge of fleeing their homes to save themselves. The local vicar, William Montpassant, decided it was his moral duty to prevent the plague from spreading to other towns and cities, and that and for that, so he needed to quarantine Eam completely. The village must be enclosed with no one allowed in or out. The Earl of Devonshire, who, who lived nearby, also agreed to send supplies if the locals agreed to quarantine. The villagers created an, an exclusion zone of large, of large flat stones beyond the borders of the village. Meat and grain brought from neighboring villages were left by the stones and in exchange, the villagers left coins in bowls of vinegar. They believed the vinegar cleansed the coins of the pandemic. Within the village, the disease continued to multiply. Historic stone markers currently around the village indicate entire families died. People had to bury their own dead. No one was untouched by tragedy. And I believe a lot of this history is known because this vicar, Montpassant, wrote down a lot of what was happening. One thing he wrote was, our town has become a Golgotha. Our town has become a Golgotha, which is a skull. So he's saying it's the place of the skull. My ears never heard such doleful lamentations. My nose never smelt such horrid smells. And my eyes never beheld such ghastly spectacles. On the 1st of November, 1666, a young farmer named Abraham Morton took one final agonizing breath. He was the last of 260 people to die in Eam. The villagers of Eam finally stopped the spread of plague by their courageous, selfless actions, and in doing so, ensured that they would not become yet another set of nameless statistics generated by the horrible pandemic. So that's the last of the stories. A couple of more little things, though. Maybe you've heard this nursery rhyme. Of course you've heard it. Something similar, anyway. Ring a ring of roses a pocket full of posies, atishu, atishu, we all fall down. That's supposedly the British version. It's long been suggested that this nursery rhyme, with its numerous variations, may have originated from the London Plague of 1665. One symptom of the plague was the appearance of rose-red blotches, thus ring-a-ring-a-roses. Uh, Sweet-smelling posies, which are groups of flowers, would help mask the stench of death. But soon after the sneezing, atishu, and flu-like symptoms occurred, death would simply swiftly follow. We all fall down. Folklore scholars, however, being the total party poopers that they are, disregard the Great Plague explanation that has been the most common since the mid-20th century as baseless. By the way, the American version is listed as Rig around the rosy, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. I do recall saying this as a kid way back in the 1960s. I have no idea why we said it or what we did when we said it. We must have made some little game out of it, but I do recall saying it. Almost done. Uh, I can't recall if I've said this yet. 
during all of this, talking about the plague, but the causative organism, Yersinia pestis, was not discovered until the ni- until ni- until 1894 in Hong Kong by a French bacteriologist, Alexandre Yersin, thus the name Yersinia pestis. Very final thoughts, some information and facts and data I got from WebMD and the CDC. Thanks to treatment and prevention, the plague is rare now. Only a few thousand people around the world get it each year. Most of the cases are in the African, African, I'm sorry, are in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Madagascar, India, and Peru. The U.S. sees about seven cases a year, mostly in rural or remote areas in the southwestern states. There are actually three versions of the bubonic plague. The regular bubonic plague is the most common type. That's the one where you get buboes, which are very swollen and painful lymph nodes under the arms, in the neck, or in the groin. Without treatment, the bacteria can spread to other parts of the body. A new one is called the septicemic plague. This type is more dangerous than bubonic. It's when bacteria has moved into the blood. Signs include bleeding under the skin or from the mouth, nose, or bottom, blackened skin, especially on the nose, fingers, and toes, belly pain, diarrhea, vomiting, and shock. And the last one, which I've mentioned before, pneumonic plague. This is when the bacteria are in the lungs. It is the rarest form of disease. It's deadly without treatment. It's also very contagious because the plague can spread through the air when a person coughs. Symptoms include cough, sometimes with blood, trouble breathing, nausea, and vomiting. Treatment for bubonic plague works very well. With antibiotics, most people get better within a week or two. You know, it's kind of amazing. It's really not a big deal now. After all, it's done over all the centuries. But of course, without treatment, most people with the plague will die. There does seem to, <clears throat> there does seem to be a plague vaccine, but it's not recommended in the U.S. because I assume because the disease is so rare and it can be treated with antibiotics. Plague vaccines have been used since the late 19th century, but their effectiveness has never been measured precisely, which I personally find kind of interesting. Someone should do that. Field experience, excuse me, <coughs> field experience indicates that vaccination with plague vaccine reduces the incidence and severity of disease resulting from the bite of infected fleas. The plague vaccine is licensed for use in the United States and is re- prepared from Yersinia pestis organisms grown in artificial media inactivated with formaldehyde and preserved in 0.5% phenol. The vaccine also contains trace amounts of beef heart extract, yeast extract, agar, which is kind of a solution that bacteria can be grown in, and peptones and peptides of soya and casein. Finally, vaccination is recommended for laboratory and field personnel or other workers who are working with Yersinia pestis or plague-infested rodents. Okay, maybe I'm done with the bubonic plague. Tomorrow we'll be talking about a new infectious disease, I think.